Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential, your weekly look into all things royal, brought to you from Mail HQ in Kensington. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, and we're going to get straight into it this week by looking at reports that Meghan and Harry, remember them, have extended an olive branch and were asked to have a summit with Her Majesty the Queen. We can get the latest now from the Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, who's in Scotland. Rebecca, are these reports of a summit true? Yes, so as you rightly uh, guessed, I'm in Scotland, and I'll tell you a bit more about that later. But first, of course, Harry and Meghan. Now, I'm afraid I'm going to be a bit of a stick in the mud about this story, um, uh, because uh, Summit is not what I've heard. Of course, Harry and Meghan are going to come to England uh, at some point in the near future. And amongst the family members they'll wish to see most keenly will be the Queen, because, of course, um, Archie hasn't seen his great-grandmother for almost two years and she hasn't actually met her youngest great-grandchild, um, Lilibet. But uh, meeting the family is very, very different from a summit, which we saw at Sandringham not so long ago, which is a kind of suggestion they will be thrashing out family issues. And I'm told if they do come to visit, it will be in a private capacity and, and very much uh, will remain in that vein. And how will those in the palace be planning for this meeting? I've spoken to some people about this week. And as I said, you know, they, they've stressed to me that if and when it does happen, it will be very much a private family um, get together. Um, nonetheless, of course, I think everyone recognises it'll be a pretty awkward one, given everything that's happened over the last couple of years. But there's certainly no kind of officials getting involved. And I think they know that that's something that would really wind Harry and Meghan up, actually, if they were to do so. Now, also in Scotland is Prince Andrew. Is this because of the reports we've heard that he's trying to avoid attempts to be served sexual assault papers at his Windsor home? Yeah, that's a $64,000 question, isn't it? Um, yes, he did bolt back up to Scotland yesterday. Interestingly, his uh, reappearance is, uh, is happening just uh, a few days ahead of that civil case against him in the US having its first hearing in Manhattan. Um, and we've been told that there have been many attempts by his accusers, um, lawyers, to serve papers on him at Windsor. And of course, the Queen here in Scotland has a 50,000 acre estate and uh, while sources close to Andrew say to me this was very much a long planned family trip um, uh, it certainly is going to be more difficult to hunt him down so to speak uh, while he's up in Scotland. And the Queen will receive another Duchess who was once persona non grata. Fergie is back for her second trip to Balmoral this summer? She is and I think this is quite intriguing actually because of course Fergie was persona non grata as you say when the Duke of Edinburgh was alive, he couldn't stand her, quite frankly. Um, and uh, we, she has always come up to Scotland for the last few years with her ex-husband, but that was always before Philip arrived. So the fact that she's coming up for a second time, I think just sh shows you how much the Queen now accepts that she is part and parcel of her son's life. Thank you for that, Rebecca. Let's bring in our panel now. Joining me this week is consultant editor of the Daily Mail, Andrew Pearce, and the Mail's diary editor, Richard Eden. Thank you both for being here. Richard, 
whether it's a summit or not, there will be a lot of attention on this. What, what, what's your thoughts? There really will be. I mean, it will be, you know, it's been 18 months since um, Harry and Meghan left this country for North America. Obviously, we've had Harry back, but we haven't seen Meghan at all. So any meeting with the Queen, however minor, will be a big event. Um, I remember writing in my column recently how Harry, on his return for the unveiling of the Diana statue, um, let it be known that he wants a christening for baby Lilibet, a royal christening, um, just like um, for baby Archie mm. at Windsor. And I think they hope that will be this autumn, along with um, other events such as Prince Harry's birthday. I just feel like the longer this meeting doesn't happen, particularly like if I was Meghan, I'd be absolutely terrified to see the Queen for the first time after all of this. I think there'll certainly be a few nerves on... Um, Hashtag on, orcs, as the kids on, say. On both sides. Yeah. But I think the royal family will want to show that they're magnanimous and they want to ignore all the, the bad blood from Harry and Meghan, essentially, and all the, the insults and the, the terrible things that they've said. I mean, Andrew, let's be optimistic. Obviously, a reconciliation is always possible. Mm. Anything's possible. But is it a case of all too little too late now? I think it's very unlikely there's going to be a big reconciliation. Don't forget, Harry is writing a book. Uh, it's going to be a kiss and tell. It's going to be a memoir. It's almost certainly going to be incredibly critical of the royal family. So is that going to be on the agenda when the Queen talks to her uh, grandson? Uh, if I was her, I'd get her officials to search Meghan and Harry to make sure they've got no tape recorders <laughs> because we know absolutely everything they ever say to any member of the royal family then gets leaked to their friends in the American media. What, what is the protocol with yeah. frisking it, members well, of the royal family. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, actually, the Queen should have the tape recorder secretly positioned so that if they do then put out a completely distorted version of the conversation, she has the evidence to disprove it. I mean, she wouldn't, of course, she wouldn't get down and dirty with that couple, but they're still dreadful. And, uh, and they know that actually their only, their only saleability in the United States is their connection to the most famous woman on the planet, the Queen, which is why they're desperate to see her. It's see, all about product Harry, product Meghan, PLC. I love having Andrew on the show, but I do wish sometimes you would just say what you think. <laughs> that would be re just just relax. But yeah. I mean, whatever happens, it's very interesting what Andrew says about recording, you know, recollections may vary yeah. from this meeting as well. Do you think that ultimately we'll have different versions of this I think incident? We certainly will, and I'm sure it, it won't take very long, you know, whether it's on Gail King's show in America mm. or, or it's on tweets from the um, famous, infamous Omid Scobie. I'm sure we'll Your certainly hear, we'll hear one version yeah. of it. And then um, courtiers, I'm sure, will let it be known a different version of events. So it will be fascinating, um, but it, it will happen because I agree with Andrew that you know, Harry and Meghan need it, really. They do need to keep up that royal connection. And they are a family. You know, they do want a christening. We don't... Meghan does not speak to any members of her family apart from her mother. So it makes sense to have the christening where any family can come. And that would be Harry's family rather than hers. And I wonder if this time they might tell us who the godchildren are. Because remember... The, the godfather, the, the godparents. Godparents, yeah, yeah, the godparents. Because they refused to tell us it was one of their stupid, childish cat-and-mouse games with the media. They wouldn't say. Uh, why? What's the big secret? 
I can't see why that would be any different this time. No, it's it would be. And, and, and of course, the Queen doesn't want that we just, just get the royal family sucked into all that again because it's just demeaning and embarrassing. Because when royals have christenings, we know who the godparents, the godchildren are, the godparents. We know everything, but they don't want to give. It's part of. It's because of us, of course. They don't want to feed the beast, which is the press. But if he says he wants the, um, you know, if you, if your grandson asks you that to have the christening, yeah. you know, at the royal chapel, it's it's very hard to say no. So I think as a you know, as a grandmother mm. and a great grandmother, the Queen would would want that to happen yeah. at Windsor. I think they're just always as well just desperate to be taking the high road. Yeah, so, definitely. And sort of being squeaky clean in this year before mm. the Jubilee, etc. But exactly. Speaking of embarrassing, Andrew, I want to talk to your turn to your namesake now, who yeah. the Duke of York has apparently hot-footed it to Balmoral uh, while we're awaiting this hearing in New York. Um, do you have any sympathy for him? I have absolutely not a shred of sympathy for Prince Andrew. The sympathy I have are for all the young women who were preyed on by his great friend Jeffrey Epstein, the paedophile, who, a convicted paedophile, whose home he then subsequently visited. Uh, now, I've no idea whether Prince Andrew uh, is lying when he denies vehemently that he ever had sexual relations with the the famous woman with Virginia. Virginia. Uh, but he he can deal with this in one way. He can talk to the FBI. He could do it in a neutral building in Britain. Uh, there's plenty of places he could talk to them. He could help them because this isn't going to go away. Uh, the civil cases are going to pile up in the United States. I don't quite believe that he hot-footed it out of um, Royal Lodge in Windsor and hid in the forest waiting for his chauffeur to get him and the dreadful Fergie in the back seat so they could drive up to Balmoral well, to escape. Oh, you paint a great image though. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fascinating, <laughs> isn't it? It's like a scene out of Harry Potter. Yeah. And, 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 um, and, and he's Fergie is with him. It shows how lonely he's become now. I mean, what do you make of this, Richard? I think one holiday with your ex-husband, maybe to sort of like, you know, keep familial relations civil. Any more than that seems a bit excessive to me. But It really is a fascinating story. I mean, of course, Fergie um, did visit Balmoral a few times in previous years, but she always had to leave um, before Prince Philip arrived because he couldn't stand her at all. Um, but this year she didn't. She stayed the whole 10 days with Prince Andrew initially and now she's back again. And Balmoral, Balmoral does um, afford great privacy. It's a private estate. Um, no pesky lawyers from America can serve papers on the Balmoral estate. So that gives them a lot of privacy. Mm. Um, and also I do wonder why they've gone back again. I mean, perhaps Prince Andrew's asking his mother um, if he can get married again. What do you, do you think that that has any credibility? Someone did tell me, I remember um, years ago, they said, look, mark my words, when Prince Philip dies, after then, um, Andrew and Fergie will get married again. I mean, I'm fascinated by, the, you know, this thing that she recently said, Sarah, divorce is one thing, but my heart is my oath. It makes me wonder why they got divorced. I yeah. don't think they ever really wanted to in the first place. I think it was part of Prince Philip's desire to sort of sort, sort the situation out. He didn't like this messy sort of breakup, um, but they remain very close. I mean, personally, I think they've been a great example of how a divorced couple can stay friends and um, bring up children and so forth. Well, but as Andrew says, because they haven't got any other friends. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. No, that's a bit harsh. Divorce was always pretty inevitable after those photographs of uh, allowing the businessman John Bryan to suck her toe while her young children were gamboling around in the background. I think I mean, that was the final straw. I think yeah. Surely it was the final straw. I think I've tried to block that from yeah, my memory. It's, yeah, it's not great. But, um, but I mean, there's also this extraordinary story around this week that Prince Andrew thinks he'll be back doing public duties again on behalf of Queen and country 
as early as next year. Away with the fairies. There's not a chance of it. Not while the court, private, the civil court hearings are hanging over him and not before he's talked to the FBI. There's no way, I don't know where he's getting this idea from, because the Queen won't have it and nor will Prince Charles. Well, I think he's, he's very clear that he's innocent, he's done nothing wrong. Yeah, sure. the yes, Queen so talk to the him. FBI. You know? yeah, so, exactly. Yes, I mean, to be fair, we don't know the exact position because they haven't given any comment on how... He's always made clear he wants to cooperate with the FBI, but mm. he's never given any update on how he's doing that. Um, I mean, one day perhaps they'll just announce, yes, he's spoken to them. But remember, we do have the court case with his great friend, Ghislaine yeah. Maxwell, mm coming up. I mean, I, I strongly, wearily suspect we'll be having this exact conversation for many, many weeks to come, but yeah, let's yeah. move on now. If you would like to keep up to date with all the latest royal news, gossip, and of course, Palace Confidential, you need to subscribe to Richard Eden's royal newsletter. Richard, tell us all about your right royal newsletter and what <laughs> we can expect. Yeah, this is the Palace Confidential newsletter, which, I mean, viewers of the show, you know, they love getting a bit of royal news. They love you. Now and then, uh, perhaps, but um, this this is um, a newsletter which sent to your inbox every Thursday and it brings all the news of the week together so you, you won't miss a thing if you sign up to this. To sign up, head to www.mailplus.co.uk forward slash palace hyphen newsletter. That link is on your screen now. Now, this week, Michael Fawcett stepped down as chief executive of the Prince's Foundation after the Prince of Wales's former aide was revealed to have offered to help secure a knighthood and British citizenship for a billionaire Saudi donor to Charles's charity. The story was broken by the Mail on Sunday assistant editor Kate Manzi. Here's how. Last week in our investigation, uh, I discovered a, a letter which had been sent by Michael Fawcett um, to a representative of a Saudi sheikh, Bin Mahfouz. And in this letter, Michael Fawcett outlines the generosity of the Saudi sheikh in the past and anticipated continued generosity in the future and makes it quite clear that we, he said, would help um, the sheikh to get um, not only British citizenship, but also uh, a knighthood, therefore upgrading his CBE uh, to a knighthood in the honours system. Now, this was really explosive because uh, for the first time, it seemed to suggest that not just Fawcett, but the team behind him, around him, um, were planning to help this Saudi sheikh in exchange for, for money. That was quite clear from the letter. Um, when we went to the, the palace and the Prince's Foundation about this, um, the Prince's Foundation moved really quickly. Uh, to their credit, they uh, came back that afternoon and said, OK, Michael Fawcett has agreed to step down temporarily and we're going to investigate this. Now, this comes obviously on the back of our previous investigation, which looked at other aides, middlemen, who are taking a cut of the money um, from these wealthy foreign donors. So it's really, it's really been a, an explosion. There's no insinuation of wrongdoing on the prince's part. What this does, though, is that it raises questions about judgment. You know, was Michael Fawcett the right man for the job? Was he going about it in the right way? Uh, the Prince of Wales is incredibly busy. He can't keep an eye on everything. But people will be asking questions within the palace about the, the heir to the throne's judgment in, in this issue. A very good source said to me last week, with regards to where this money comes from, well, we have to dine with Bond villains. 
you know, they're known as the Bond villains, that it, it was meant lightheartedly, but actually behind the scenes you're wondering where does this money come from? Um, and why do these people want to meet Prince of Wales? And rather than naively thinking that perhaps they're benevolent donors, what are they getting out of it? And is the reputation of the royal family going to suffer because of it? So no one within the palace likes to think of the transition, as they call it, the day that the Prince of Wales will inevitably become king. And I think he realises that when that moment happens, his wings will be clipped to some extent. He'll enter into a kind of head of state role. He'll be forced to be much more neutral. And I think what we're seeing here, and this is what's so interesting about this story, is that there's this determination, this last blast, to make sure that that legacy as Prince of, Prince of Wales has been established. Back to Rebecca English now on her way to Dumfries House, the Scottish home where Charles entertains some of the donors to the Prince's Foundation. Rebecca, what's Charles up to right now and has this story affected him? Just to stress, I'm not quite at Dumfries House yet. I think the decor there is probably a little posher than this, or a bit more traditional, should I say. Um, but I will be very soon. I'm up here, as you say, to cover a number of engagements today by the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall, known as the Duke and Duchess of Rothsey, when they're north of the border. And this is very much business as usual. This is the day-to-day the -day grind of being a member of the royal family. And it's quite an eclectic day today. Um, we've got Charles and Camilla doing everything from unveiling a massive knitted mosaic, um, which is going to be on display at Dumfries House. We've got uh, the Duchess of Cornwall visiting uh, a women's refuge, which obviously is an issue very, very close to her heart. And we've got uh, also she's going to be joining a mentoring session for women in journalism. Quite interesting timing of that. And then also you've got the couple visiting uh, a cottage connected with um, national hero uh, Robert Burns. So it's very much a kind of day to day fare of being a member of the royal family. And I think that's what's important for the Prince of Wales at the moment, while obviously this furore is going on in the background. So the typical royal business as usual, but any attempt to sweep this under the carpet wouldn't really be a good look, would it? You're absolutely right. It wouldn't be a good look to sweep it under the carpet. And to be fair to them, I don't think they are. We heard from the Prince of Wales's office, Clarence House, this week, for the first time directly since the story broke at the weekend. And they said that the Prince of Wales had no knowledge of the alleged actions that were going on and fully supported the investigation into them. Um, so I don't think there's any attempt to sweep it under the carpet. But of course, it is a very, very difficult time for the Prince of Wales. Michael Fawcett has been one of his closest aides for decades. Um, and uh, the allegations being made against him are very, very serious indeed. Thanks, Rebecca. Let's bring our panel back in now. Andrew, Kate alluded to it in her interview, but really questions probably have to be raised about Charles's judgment here, don't they? Yeah, and it's, it's, he, there's a long history here. Um, when I was on The Times um, nearly 20 years ago, I was writing about Michael Fawcett, this extraordinary figure at the heart of Prince Charles's e empire. And there was this big story, a scandal it was, there was an inquiry conducted about how gifts that were given to Prince Charles as Prince of Wales, they weren't official gifts on behalf of governments, they were personal gifts, were being stored in warehouses, they were they're being neglected, and eventually they were being sold uh, some upmarket antique specialists, rug specialists in St James's, near St James's Palace, Prince Charles London home, by Michael Fawcett. Nothing illegal, but it looked 
appalling. Where did the, the money go? Well, we were never, we, it was never quite clear. Right. Michael Fawcett clearly had a cut, and the Prince of Wales, presumably, sh clearly short of money, desperate for the cash, obviously put a bit of money in his back pocket. I mean, it was a very odd thing. It, perhaps the money went to charity, but they were never able to satisfactorily tell us. It's now, a bit of an upmarket trotter situation. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it's very dull boy, very dull boy. Yeah. So the palace, as a result of the inquiry into the royal gifts for sale, they knew it was a very bad look, lots of criticism in Parliament about it, and announced that Michael Fawcett was leaving the employment of the Prince of Wales. Except he didn't, because then when the annual report of Clarence House came out a few months later, there he was, mm. consultant to the Prince of Wales, earning then, we're back in about 2002, 2003, a million pounds a year. Not bad for a man who started his life as a valet, but don't forget there is that story, and it's not apocryphal, it's absolutely true. Michael Fawcett is so indispensable to Prince Charles, he once famously applied toothpaste to his toothbrush when the Prince of Wales had broken one of his arms. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's... <laughs> Quite. Okay, so yes, Richard, why does Michael Fawcett keep coming back and should he? Well, I think he's, um, as Andrew said, you know, he's proved himself indispensable, um, genuinely indispensable over the years. They've never really got rid of him. He was, a, he was a footman, then a valet, and now, you know, in charge of Charles's sprawling charity empire, which is enormous with millions of pounds of revenues. Yeah. Now, I, don't, I don't think he still deals with a toothbrush. You never know. But the thing is, that's got to be remembered is he is highly successful at what he does. So he was tasked with bringing in money. Remember that um, when Prince Charles decided to buy um, Dumfries House in Scotland from um, Marquis of Bute, you know, he, he didn't really have the money, but he put together a consortium to save it. And then he needed um, Michael Fawcett to raise money. And he's done that brilliantly. But unfortunately, that has led him into contact with a lot of, um, how can we say, interesting people. Interesting people. And, but, you know, Andrew, if the money yeah. raised is obviously great, but yeah. if we're in a situation where some of that has to be returned to yeah. questionable donors. But also, um, it is against the law to uh, sell an honour. The 1925 Honours Act is quite clear. You go to prison for it. So if there is evidence that Michael Fawcett said thanks very much for the money and if you give us the money we can sort out your British citizenship and we can get you a CBE or and we can get you a knighthood and this particular donor by the way did get a CBE awarded to him by Prince Charles in a very nice private ceremony uh, I think it was in St James's Palace yeah. wasn't in the court circular where the whole no. world would have seen it so it was done privately and he did get nationality and he got nationality again nothing wrong with it but the optic again makes it look and sound dodgy. A bit Del Boy all yeah. over again. I wonder if that guy had to um, sit the citizenship test that I did to yeah. get to, uh, down at Brixton didn't. Library. <laughs> you should have offered to make, make a donation on yeah. Prince Charles's charities. I know, I need to sell some of my antiques. But is it me, Richard, or do the royal family have a little bit of an issue with a, you know, a good filter when it comes to who they mix with? I think there is a serious problem here. I mean, what we've had with the royal family in the past, um, exemplified by the Queen, is she would become patrons, a patron of existing charities. And having the Queen as your patron would help them raise money and they'd attend events. And that example was followed by Princess Anne, brilliantly with things like Save the Children. But what Prince Charles did was he wanted to have his own charities. He created this whole network of, of charities and they've done fantastic work, you know, the Prince's Trust and so forth. But what it's meant is that then he needs to raise so much money to, to keep them going. 
And this has been followed, this example, by Prince William with the Royal Foundation and Prince Harry with Sussex Royal and Archwell. And the problem is it means that even if it's money for charity, it still means you have to sort of suck up to rich people, of, often quite dubious yeah. people, and often people who they only want to get to know you because they want to improve their often quite bad reputations. And there's no need for it. And I think before Charles becomes king, if he does become king, he certainly needs to completely separate himself from those charities. Um, and I think Prince William will as well. I, I'd rather, Royal Foundation is brilliant, doing lots of good work, but he needs to go back to being patron of existing charities and not desperately trying to raise money for mm. his own. The trouble is, you see, when people give money, it's very great of them to be philanthropic, but often they want something in return. Yeah, there's an agenda. It's, yeah, yeah, it's the same with donations to political parties, the Conservative Party. The House of Lords is stuffed full of people who've given millions to uh, the Labour Party or the Tory Party, mainly the Tory Party, uh, and they say they got the, the gong for charitable work. They got the gong because they gave a lot of money to a political party. It's not much different here with Prince Charles. It, Richard's right, the charities do some fantastic fantastic work, but sometimes the donations they take don't pass what I call the smell test. Mm, it's fascinating. Mm. Well, former Liberal Democrat MP Norman Baker has written a book on royal finances and has often been a critic of the firm's approach to money. Here's what he had to say. When I read the Mail on Sunday story and, and saw the published letter, it seemed to me to be if not an open and shut case, at least primary facie evidence that an offence had been committed under the Honours Act 1925. It is a serious offence to sell an honour in this country and there appeared to be from that letter an entirely transactional relationship, not just about the past but about the future because the letter refers to the future in terms of honours or help with citizenship applications which is related directly to money coming into the Prince's good causes. That is a defence under the Honours Act in my view it's also potentially a corruption offence and uh, that needs to be investigated. So I reported it to um, Cressida Dick, her private office, uh, the Met Commissioner. I've had a response to say that uh, they're looking into what I've sent them uh, from a DI, a Detective Inspector, in her office. And I hope they will look into it without fear or favour, whatever the evidence takes them. Yeah, I think it's time for Prince Charles to make a statement himself. These people who give money to Prince Charles, I mean, there may be one or two philanthropists amongst them who share his causes, but frankly, I suspect most of them are given money because they want the photograph of them and Prince Charles. They want the dinner at St James's Palace. They want the kudos. That's all we've got time for this week. My thanks to Rebecca English, Kate Manzi, Andrew Pearce, Richard Eden, and as always to you for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.